listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we are continuing week two of a series that Pastor Rocky started last week called Old School. And today we're going to be in Galatians 6, and I wanted you to go ahead and, and turn there with me. We'll get there in just a moment. But at the heart of this series called Old School, Pastor Rocky mentioned last week that, that it's kind of a throwback to old school preaching. Not necessarily the style of preaching, but really just kind of this, this throwback to the kind of preaching that's just straightforward about God's truth in light of a culture that is constantly changing and shifting and pulling further away from God. And last week, Pastor Rocky kicked the series off with such a great quote that I think is going to be kind of, uh, you know, an, an overall generalization of this entire series when he said that we don't need to rewrite the Bible, we need to reread it. And if you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go listen to it. I could not do it justice to review it or, or to try and recap it enough. I encourage you to go listen to it and, uh, and, and hear what he had to say. But basically, he was talking about how our, as our culture gets further and further away from the truth, we cannot afford to compromise or let our convictions conform to what the world tells us, but rather we need to travel, as he put it, the well-worn paths. And that's really what we're doing. And so today we're gonna talk about um, the idea of personal responsibility and what that looks like in our culture and how even though that might be old school terminology, um, it is still very prevalent and something that we need to uh, adhere to in our own lives. And so in Galatians chapter six, we're reading the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Galatia in verse two. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are the truth, that Jesus exemplifies that truth and that your word tells us what that truth is. Your word serves as, as a marker in our lives, a, a standard for us to hold up our lives against. And so God, I pray that your word would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us, search those places in our heart that we have even tried to maybe hide from you and allow those things to be brought to the surface and allow your Holy Spirit to comfort, to guide, direct, to lead and to heal. And God, we give you all of the glory and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, a few months ago, I had a, uh, a really bad experience at a restaurant. The restaurant shall remain nameless. I had a really bad experience at a restaurant. It wasn't the quality of the food or the cleanliness or anything like that. It was a really bad customer service experience. Have you ever had an experience with bad customer service that just kind of turns you off to an entire place business, organization, anybody else out there, you have a bad experience? Yeah, okay. I, I'm very passionate about good customer service. Maybe it's because uh, until I got into full-time ministry, I worked a series of like, you know, all kinds of different jobs from food service, but mostly retail. And I know some things. So if you work in, in the service industry, I get it. I understand because you're gonna to wanna to push back a little bit against me saying I have a hard time with bad customer service because some of you are like, you have no idea the customers that we deal with. I do, I understand, I get it. However, I also know some other things about customer service. You know how much money it costs to be kind and helpful to a customer that walks into your establishment? 0.00 dollars, right? It costs no money 
for that employee at Chick-fil-A to tell me my pleasure when I say thank you to them for handing me that Jesus chicken after I've paid my tithe to Chick-fil-A. It costs them no money at all, but it goes a long way. And look at the culture that has been created as a result of some of just that vernacular. It does not cost any money to be kind and to be helpful. However, I do feel like now more than ever, customer service has died, and I'm not sure we're ever going to get it back. I, I know I sound like an old person when I say that, and like, oh, the good old yesteryears when people used to treat you well, but it's gone. I don't think it's ever coming back, and that is what I experienced at this restaurant a few months ago. I went through and got my food, and it's a quick service place, and so I got my food, and, and one of the reasons that I went there is they have this, this large area with a, a lot of condiments that you can use to accessorize your food, which I enjoy, and so I went over to this place, but it was it was empty. There was nothing on there. There were no sauces. There were no nothing on there. And I realized, I looked at my watch. I'm like, it's probably 1.30, 2 o'clock. This is after the lunch rush. They probably got slammed with a lot of people at lunch. I'm fine with that. I'm cool. So I just went up and talked to an employee. The employee was wearing a different shirt. So I assume that he was a uh, manager or something. He was wearing a different shirt than all the other employees. And so I just simply asked, hey, I noticed there's, there's no condiments out on the, uh, on, on the bar there. Is, is there anything, you know, that, that you have? in the back. Well, I, I don't know what I did to offend this man, but he looked back at me like, how dare you talk to me at the place where I work, right? Like, why are you speaking to me this way about food at this restaurant where I work? Why are you doing, how dare you, sir? That's the vibe that I got. So already I'm like, mm, this, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And so I did a lot of praying, a lot of introspective uh, kind of like reflection and just said, Jesus, hold my tongue because I don't want to say what I want to say. And so I just simply, you know, kind of asked, is there anything that you have? And he explained um, in a very curt fashion, well, we have to make all that stuff by hand. And I'm thinking, what, is there another option for that? I didn't, I, and so I guess there is. They could come out of a bag, I guess. I don't know. But like, we have to make all that stuff by hand. And I was like, that's, that's cool. Do you have any of that that you have made by hand in the back somewhere that you could bring to your customer who is paying for this meal? And I would like to enjoy some of the sauces that could accompany it. And, uh, and he went into the back reluctantly after a, I mean, I'm not kidding, an eye roll and a sigh. I wish I was making this up. Just, oh, like, I mean, how, how dare you come here? And so he walks into the back into the kitchen. And he comes back out a few moments later with, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like an obscene amount of these small little plastic containers of different like sauces and things. So many that he's carrying them with two hands and kind of has them clutched up against his torso as not to fall out like a basket. And before I could say anything, because I recognized what was about to happen, I knew it. You ever been in a situation, you know what's about to happen, but you can't stop it. I knew he was about to give me all these sauces. I did not want or need all of these sauces. I did not. I did not ask for all of them. I did not say, hey, can you go back and get me all of the sauce that you have? She said, some. He came back out with these handful, and before I could say anything, he put all of this that took two hands and leaning up against him into my one free hand because I was holding my drink in the other hand, and, and, and here we are. Like, we're here now. We're gonna, something's going to happen. And so I knew what was going to happen, and I could feel the fault line of these sauce containers starting to shift, and I knew it was on. And what felt like took forever, these sauces, one by one, started to fall off, and in slow motion, hit the floor, and just, I mean, poof, exploded, and shrapnel of sauces and condiments were everywhere. I don't remember a lot of what happened after that. I think, I don't quote me on that, I think I might have apologized. I don't know. I think I might have said, oh, I'm so sorry for dropping that. Maybe not that nice. I may have just said sorry. 
But he looked at me like, why would you do that on purpose and throw that on my floor? Like, why, why are you still even here talking to me? I got you what you wanted. Be gone. Like, eat, eat somewhere else. This, take this to go. You're not eating in my establishment. That's kind of the vibe that I got because he just stared daggers at me. And if you've ever been in one of those moments, you know it's very frustrating when someone takes the blame that should be on them and instead places that on you. It is very frustrating for us when we know someone should take accountability, hold responsibility for what they have done, but instead they try to shift that away from us. We get angry about it, right? If we get angry enough, we'll write a review about it, right? We'll, we'll call or talk to a manager or call corporate or we'll you know, post it on Facebook just to blast them because of that experience because we don't put up with it, right? When it comes to that, we will not accept anything less than you taking responsibility for what you're supposed to do. And if we're so passionate about that, then why is it that we do that all the time in our own lives? Not about containers of sauce, but about other things in our life. Like for example, maybe at work, you got passed up for a promotion and it's not your fault. It's not your performance's fault. It's the coworker or it's the boss or it's the corporation or whatever. It's, it's never your fault, right? Or maybe you're having a lively discussion, we'll call it, at home with your spouse. You know, one of those lively discussions. And you've shown up to this discussion really quick to present all the evidence of your innocence without even a small willingness to take responsibility for anything that you may have possibly done wrong because you know you're right and the other person is wrong and you're gonna win this fight because that's what marriage is all about, amen? So if you can't tell that was sarcasm. Please don't be like, I told you I was always right. Or how about when your child doesn't do the homework and doesn't do well on the test, it's never the kid's fault, right? That parent-teacher conference goes something like this, why did you fail my child? They didn't do any of the work they were supposed to do, didn't read any of the materials, I've never even seen a syllabus, I don't even know if my child knows what that is, but you did something wrong, and so I'm calling you out now, right? It's never the kid's fault. And, and let me just time out, pause here. Teachers, you guys just made it through your first week back to school. I know that you're gonna deal with some people like that. We love you. We are excited that you are teaching our students and we are on your team, I promise you. Pray for the teachers around uh, our schools. And so, but, but it's, it's never, we wanna shift that blame. It's never our fault. Or maybe you got pulled over for speeding. It's not your fault. And how dare you get a ticket when all you were doing was going 20 miles over the speed limit while you were texting, while drinking your coffee and messing with the radio. But I digress, all right. You see, our culture is quick to shift the blame and we reframe things that we are responsible for and, and we turn it into victimhood. And in our culture, in our society, victimhood is status sometimes and so it's become more prevalent than ever but this is not just a new problem. This is not a problem that was ushered in through the millennial generation. It's not a problem that was brought in by the baby boomer generation. It's not a generational thing. Shifting the blame and refusing to take personal responsibility has been something that has been around since there has been someone to blame. If you go back to Genesis in the creation narrative, when God creates the heavens and the earth and everything that we see, and then he creates man, Adam, and he creates Eve, woman, and, and there is this dynamic that he has set up for them to thrive in the Garden of Eden, except there's just one rule, and wouldn't you know it, Adam and Eve broke the rule, and there comes this moment where God is holding them accountable and asking them what happened. And in Genesis 3, verse 12, 
Here's Adam's response. The man said, speaking to God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Like, he, I'm, I would, like if I'm thinking about this in real life, I'm thinking he slid that last part in there, right? Like there's all kinds of blame up front. Like, yeah, I did it. But also you did this. So like he employs this very, very basic technique that we still use in our uh, you know, arsenal, in our marriage. We blame our spouse for something that we messed up on, right? Like, oh, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Like I didn't do this. And so the original spouse blaming comes into focus. But more than that, he wants to make sure that he doesn't hold any blame for what has happened. He blames God. Do you pick up on that? This woman that you gave me, okay? So yeah, I know that I messed up, but listen, God, it's your fault and it's her fault. And so then God turns to Eve and says uh, to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate, right? Same kind of verbiage, same kind of thing, except there's nobody else left to blame, right? Her husband's already blamed her. She knows that's not gonna go back. You know, I'm rubber, you're glue. And so like, that wasn't gonna work. He already blamed God, so she can't blame God. So she's like, the devil made me do it, obviously, right? And we're still using that one a whole lot when we mess up. No, it was the devil. The devil made me do it. But blame shifting has been around. That's our default mechanism for not holding on to personal responsibility from the very beginning of humanity. And in a society where there is always someone to blame, and listen, there is always someone to blame. If you don't like what you're going through, you can blame any number of people or organizations or entities. If you're upset about something and you don't know who else to blame, blame a politician, right? That seems to be the go-to. Like blame somebody else above you or below you or whatever. We always have somewhere to, uh, you know, assign blame instead of taking responsibility for our own actions. But in this culture where we are easily set up to assign blame to someone else that we should be responsible for, it creates this culture that embraces lies instead of the truth. It actively clings on to lies and it rejects the truth. And this is not just an ideology that exists in the culture that surrounds us or what Jesus would call the world. It doesn't just exist in the world. This exists in the church as well. This exists for us as Christians And I feel like this is kind of the cultural tone that we have a a, a glimpse at in the church of Galatia where Paul is writing this letter in the text that we read just a few moments ago. This is kind of the, the, the temperature of the church. This is the temperature of the culture that he's writing into. And honestly, he's shocked by it. We read in in Galatians chapter one as he starts this letter to the Galatians in verse six, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so essentially what he's saying is, listen, this is a, a young church plant that it was started by Paul. He started this church plant and he's writing because he's hearing some reports of what is happening back at the church in Galatia. And what is happening is they are starting to believe a false gospel, which he says, I love Paul's phrasing here, you, you're believing a false gospel, which isn't gospel at all because gospel is truth. And so he's saying you have bought in because people have distorted and perverted the truth, but you are buying into this. Essentially, he's saying this, Culture at large around you, church in Galatia, they're getting it wrong. They're perverting the message of Jesus and you are buying into it. You are believing it. You are not just believing it, but you're accepting it as truth. And that means that you're acting out of those 
things because the cultural swift or the cultural current was swift and it was starting to carry the church with it instead of the church influencing the culture around it. Does that sound at all familiar to the situation that we find ourselves in right now in America, in the West, or whatever you want to call it? Our culture is moving swiftly and it is strong. And if we do not stand up for the truth, we will believe the lies this false gospel, and we will be pulled into it. And so Paul is writing to this church in Galatia saying, hey, listen, this is what you've done. I've noticed, I'm, a, I'm appalled that you've done this, but you've accepted all of these lies as the truth, and the culture is taking you with it instead of you influencing the culture, and it's changed how you've acted and what you believe because you're believing this false truth. And so Paul writes this sixth chapter, we've broken up into chapters, but this sixth chapter letter to the church in Galatia talking about all kinds of ways to, to right the ship, to, to get things back in line, to get everything lined up. And then in the last chapter, in chapter six, in, in verse 11, you can read it for yourself, but it says that, that Paul talks about that he's writing with the pen right now and in large letters. Because up until this point, we're safe to assume that he was transcribing all of this. He was talking to somebody, somebody else, a scribe was writing it down. Paul knows that this is so imperative. It is so important for them to get it he writes it in bold, all caps letters in his own handwriting, saying this is what is important as he summarizes the last five chapters all in chapter six. And so with this boldness, Paul is saying, listen, I get it, the culture is taking you here. Here is what you're going to have to do to combat the culture, to make sure that you as a church, that you make it because you're in jeopardy of being engulfed by the culture around you. And so Paul's charge to them, as we see in chapter six, and specifically in verse five, was in part to take ownership, take responsibility for the things that have been entrusted for you to steward. And in order for us as a society not to, to slide further away from God and compromise to the culture around us, Paul tells them and in turn tells us that we have to take responsibility. If I could paraphrase it in a way, this is basically Paul saying, stop blaming other people and take personal responsibility for the things that you are responsible for. Galatians 6, 5, he says it like this, for each one of you should carry their own load. Look at somebody next to you and say, carry your load. Now look at the person that you don't like as much on the other side and say, carry your load. And apologize because they weren't your first round pick. <laughs> carry your own load. That's what Paul says. Listen, in this, in this church that it's starting to believe some lies and culture is creeping into it, that part of what Paul is saying that will get you back is to not believe the lies by taking responsibility for the things that you're supposed to take responsibility for, to carry the load, carry your own load. And at a glance, this can kind of seem contradictory if we're not careful, because as we read in our text at the very beginning in verse two, Paul has some other words, some other advice, some other admonishment when he says to carry each other's burdens. Now, these are two separate words, but in, in our English language, they're very close. Burden and load kind of feel like this similar uh, kind of sentiment. But if I could, I feel like we need to look at these words in the Greek to really understand that there is a huge difference between these two things that Paul is asking of this church, and I believe that he's asking of us. 
And so in chapter six and verse two, when Paul says to carry each other's burdens, this word burden in Greek is baros. And baros is, is kind of this connotation of heaviness or of being in trouble. And so Paul is kind of painting this picture of, and the verse preceding it speaks to this as well. If anybody is in trouble, if you have a fellow believer, a brother, sister in Christ that has fallen away, they've fallen into sin or they're struggling or the weight is just really, really heavy in order to restore them, to bring them back into right standing, you should help them carry that burden. It is up to us as brothers and sisters in Christ to carry each other's burden when we are under duress, when we are stressed out, when we are in traumatic situations, when we experience that trauma, when we're going through difficulties of, of like weight that is just too much for any person to bear, to try and help people through difficult times and tragedies and addictions and all of that stuff. That is what Paul is talking about. He's saying for the church to be the church, We've got to bear each other's burden. We've got to carry each other's burdens when they are too heavy to carry on your own. DCC, let me tell you, you're amazing at this. Honestly, you are amazing at this. Through the years, I can't count how many times I've been going through something or my family's been going through something and I get that text message or I get that phone call or I get somebody you know, from church showing up at our doorstep just to help carry that burden. That is a requirement for us as Jesus followers to help carry each other's burden when it's heavy, when there is extreme trouble. It's for us to help carry that burden. But that is not the word that is used in Galatians chapter six and verse five. When he says, carry your own load, the word load in Greek is this word fortion. And fortion is this word that it actually comes from a military derivative. It's this term that was used to indicate the expected amount of weight that every soldier was expected to carry in his bag, in his kit, or in his backpack. And so if you were a soldier in antiquity, in first century, uh, you know, where, where Paul is writing right here, and you signed up for the military, or you were signed up for the military, you were handed a pack. Now, I need to be some very, very clear. I made this very clear the first service. Uh, good friend, Gibby, let me borrow this. I am not, nor have I ever been cool enough to be in the Marine Corps, okay? So I need everybody to understand that. This is not mine, I'm just borrowing this for today, okay? I didn't want there to be any confusion on that. Um, but you would, they would hand you this pack, and inside of this pack, there would be the essentials for survival. There would be survival gear, there would be rations, there would even be some weaponry that would be used to defend yourself or to advance if you needed to advance at that certain point. And so every soldier was handed this. Everybody would have known and understood what Paul was talking about when he used this Greek word to describe load because it meant this thing that if a soldier under his care had this in his possession and he put it down and lost it, he would be in trouble. He would be in trouble with the commanding officer, but he'd really be in trouble because the life-sustaining things that he needed to survive would have been gone. And so it is this implication this kind of connection, this metaphor, if you will, of, of Paul saying, listen, we are gonna bear each other's burdens. When we get into difficult things that you can't hold on to by yourself, then we're gonna help each other out and we're gonna carry each other's burdens. But when it comes to the things that you have been handed that are you, you are expected to be responsible for, you need to be responsible to carry those things, to carry that load. Don't put them down. It is your responsibility and your responsibility alone to carry these things, this fortion. 
And the idea is that we all have personal responsibilities that each of us have to carry ourselves, right? It's not up to anybody else to make decisions for our lives. Now, we can seek wise counsel, but nobody can actually make that decision for us as adults. Nobody is supposed to work in place of you, pay your bills, raise your kids, mow your yard, clean your dishes, unless you pay people to do that. But here's the deal. What Paul is getting at is there, is cert- there are certain things that God has handed to you specifically for you to be responsible for. And you are the only one that can carry that load. You are the only one that can be responsible for the things that God has expected you to be responsible for. And so God is, or Paul rather, is giving the Galatians these instructions on how to thrive by taking accountability through personal responsibility, how to thrive in a culture where lies had become more prominent and believable than the truth. And the way that we do that is to own these things that we have been given to carry. Because here's the deal, if we don't carry our load, if we put these responsibilities down, there is a culture full of lies that would be happy to pick them up for us. That would be happy to sweep in and sweep away the truth and make it so confusing and mix everything up that if we lay our personal responsibilities down, they are more than happy to sweep in and to come in and to pervert the gospel, as Paul said in the beginning of this book. And so, as I was thinking and praying about this, I thought, man, what are, what are some practicalities of this? What are some things that, that in our everyday life, that, that some responsibilities, some things that, that God has given us a load, if you will, to carry, that God has, has given to us to entrust with us for us to steward, that no one else can do for us? And one of the first things I thought about was our occupation, our job. Now, nobody else has the responsibility to do the things that we're supposed to do on our job. Nobody. Now, you might have people that work for you and you can delegate. I'm not talking about delegation. I'm talking about the things that you are required to do for your employment, for your occupation, for your job. No one else can do that for you. Maybe some of you work with some people, you're like, well, that's what that person does. They assume everybody's gonna work real hard and cover up all the things that they mess up, and maybe there are some people around you that do that, but as Christ followers, we're called to a higher standard than that. We are called to be responsible for the things that we are supposed to be responsible for, which means that we don't get to cut corners because I'm responsible for that. This is my load to carry. I can't lie, I can't conceal the truth from my boss or from managers or from my employees or from customers, I just can't do that. It's my load to carry. I have this responsibility to lead. And maybe some of you are thinking, I, I don't lead anything at my job. I'm just, a, I'm just a worker at my job. Listen, people are looking to you, whether they are in leadership above you on an org chart or underneath you, regardless, we are all leaders. And so the decisions that we make as leaders are the decisions that we have to be responsible to lead well and lead people into love. It is my responsibility to to steward the influence that God has given me and to be responsible for that. It's our responsibility to hit those deadlines. It's our responsibility to be on time for work. I'll move on quickly. It's our responsibility to have a good attitude while we were there. It does not matter what your title is. It doesn't matter if you're earning six figures or you're earning minimum wage. That is not the point. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is the goal. This is our responsibility. This is what God has given to us saying, I have given you the ability to create an opportunity to 
be paid, to have money flowing in so that you can live. And so because of that, this is your responsibility to do everything that you can on your job, at your job, through your occupation, through your business, whatever that looks like, to be responsible for that because we are not working for anyone else. Listen, what the Bible says, we're not working for a boss. We're not working for a manager. We're not working for customers. We're not working for a paycheck even. We are working for God. And so when we look at that as our responsibility, a lot of times when, when things get difficult on our jobs, things get difficult at work, the natural tendency is to go ahead and take that responsibility off and put it down and allow somebody else to pick that up. But it's no one else, no one else has that responsibility where you work, on your job, in your business, but us. It's that load that we are given to carry and no one can carry it but us. Spiritual gifts are another thing that I thought of when I thought, man, what are the things that God gives to us? Spiritual gifts, these things that God has uniquely created and designed us to do for the express purpose of being a part of what Paul would other, say in other books of the Bible as the body of Christ. The church as it comes together, different parts functioning in different ways, but in harmony and unity with each other. And in ways that we would also serve in the body of Christ, we would also serve other parts of the body of Christ. That's what's beautiful about the church is that we're all different. But when we come together and use the unique gifts that God has designed for us to use, then we complement each other very well. But listen, nobody can decide for you to use that gift for the kingdom of God. Nobody else can decide to use that talent, use that skill, use that incredibly unique opportunity for you to serve the kingdom of God except for you. And let me tell you, listen, we need you. And when I say we, I mean the, the worldwide church. We need you. We need everybody serving in the capacity that God has called you to serve. But we have to take responsibility for that. No one can make us do that. And the scary thing about this is that if we, choose not to use our gifts to serve the body of Christ, then what tends to happen is I'll use those gifts to serve myself. The things that God has uniquely designed me to do to enhance the body of Christ, I'll start to turn that inward on myself. I'll get very selfish and I'll see what I can gain from that. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's a load that we have the responsibility to carry. We can't just assume somebody else is gonna do that job, is gonna serve on that team, is gonna fill that unique place that God has for us. I believe another thing that God has, has packed in our load, so to speak, for us to carry for our personal responsibility is our spiritual maturity, our, our formation as Christians. That there is this responsibility for every single one of us to contribute to and to be accountable for the way that we are growing spiritually. I have to take accountability for my spiritual disciplines. I have to take accountability for my habits. I have to take accountability for my growth. And I can't shift the blame for spiritual immaturity on anyone else. If all I do to feed myself consistently is maybe see a post that somebody posts of a verse of the day, come into church every once in a while, and then maybe listen to a podcast and catch that, and then wonder why I'm spiritually anemic. I, I, can't, I can't put that on anyone else, because I have to be 
constantly feeding my, I am in charge of, I am responsible for making sure that I am consuming God's word. I am responsible for making sure that I am in community with other people of like faith. I have to be responsible to make sure that I am coming and worshiping in gatherings. I have to make sure that I am uh, responsible for prayer. That's on me. That's no one else to make that happen for me. That is on me. Yet so many times, You know, the critique that we hear if people leave the church, and I've, over my ministry career, I've heard it more times than I can even count from more people that I even know. But somebody will be leaving the church, and the thing that they will pin it to is they'll say, well, I'm just not getting fed anymore. And it's hard for us in ministry, it's hard for a pastor to hear that. It really is. Because we realize that's not the only point. The point of coming to church and being a part of a church is not just to be fed. That's like the same thing as going to a restaurant one day, getting an amazing meal, enjoying it, but then going back to that restaurant the next week and complaining because it didn't keep you full for a week. It doesn't make any sense, so why would we assume that anything less than that could make sense for us as far as the way that we take responsibility for our spiritual maturity? As my good friend, Pastor BJ, likes to say, like, you can't expect to stay full from one meal, right? Like, you, you have to continue to take accountability for your relationship with Christ. And you see, here's the problem when we pass that off on someone else or make that someone else's responsibility. If that's our load to carry and we take that off and we put that down, then the scary thing is, is that If we don't take responsibility for our spiritual growth and spiritual formation, then we're not gonna know the difference between a lie and the truth because we're not gonna know what the truth is. And so when our culture comes in strong like it does and it starts spouting all these lies to us, we're gonna be extremely confused because we don't know what's right. It's gonna be this perverted gospel as Paul says in the beginning of the book of Galatians. And so it is our responsibility to carry the load of our spiritual maturity. I don't know if we're going to be friends after this. That's okay. I told first service, I said, um, Pastor Rocky said something last week, and I I kind of chuckled to myself. He said, he's at a place, and I'm paraphrasing, so if I don't get it right. He said, I'm "I'm at a place in my ministry now where I don't, like, I don't care if anybody likes me anymore. Remember that when he said that? I'm at a place in my ministry, I care if you like me, just so you know. Like, (laughs) I do, I care. It matters to me. (laughs) Please be my friend. However, I don't care more than I care about sharing God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict me as he's convicting all of us in the room. And so I want to continue because Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That is not saying be sure that you have somebody feeding you all the time the word so you can be prosperous and successful. It's committing this to memory, taking personal responsibility for your spiritual growth. Another thing that is so just glaringly obvious about things that we should take personal responsibility for is in our homes, specifically our marriages. We are responsible for our marriages. I am responsible for my marriage. I am responsible for how I treat my spouse. I'm gonna keep this all turned in so I'm not like just throwing darts at everybody. So I'll tell you, I am responsible for making sure that I'm speaking my wife's love language instead of my own love language and then being confused why, you know, there's discommunity or, or, you know, all kinds of uh, tension in our marriage. It's my responsibility to lead my home in Christ. It's my responsibility 
to protect my wife. It's my responsibility to make sure that we have date nights. It's my responsibility to make sure that we're at marriage conferences and investing in our marriage. It is our responsibility. And I know what some of you are saying right now. I can feel the pushback. So let me just address this. I know that as I'm saying that, some of you are like, yeah, that'd be nice if my spouse had any investment at all. But if, if I would do anything, it's, it's one-sided. It's never reciprocated that way. And so I, I feel like I, I can't make them do that. Here's the deal. Personal responsibility that Paul talks about, it's personal responsibility because it's us as a person. It's not my personal responsibility as a husband, as a spouse, is not to make my wife have personal responsibility in how she treats me. It's not. I'm not accountable for that. I am not accountable for her personal responsibility. You know whose responsibility I'm accountable for? Mine. And so if I don't treat my spouse with respect, if I don't love my spouse like Christ loved the church, that's on me. I can't make my spouse do anything in reciprocation. And that's not what it's about. It's about me doing what I know I'm supposed to do regardless and taking all of that and carrying that load. Listen, It is our responsibility, married couples, to invest in our spouse. Because I promise you, if you don't, someone else will. Listen, I'm not not saying that as like some grabby quote. I'm saying that because it's real. If we don't invest in our relationship, if we don't invest in our spouse, someone will come along that's a great listener. Someone will come along that has all of those things and they'll be a sympathetic ear to lean on. It is our responsibility to serve and to love our spouse. It is our responsibility not to take that load and put it down at all and say somebody else is responsible for that because I promise you the minute we take it and put it down, somebody is gonna be ready to pick it up. We cannot afford for that to happen. And it's one of the reasons that I believe that there's this steady decline in marriage in the church and in culture in general. Ephesians 5.33 says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. The last thing I wanna key in on as we're talking about family and we're talking about spouses, I believe that one of the things that we have personal responsibility, a load to carry is for our children for our kids. I am responsible for my kids. And I'm not talking about like just in a keep them safe and alive kind of situation. Like that, that is important, that is true. We do that. But it is not someone else's responsibility to parent my children. It's not. It's not somebody else's responsibility to be the dad to my kids. We need to take ownership as parents, we need to stop trying to pass the buck or excuse behavior because it's a little bit easier to do that than to deal with whatever the consequences might be. And we are responsible, parents, for our kids' decisions when they are under our leadership, when they are under our roof. As parents, we cannot allow our kids to make all the decisions for themselves. We just can't. And I understand, I know there's this, this movement in culture like, oh, the kids should just decide whatever's better for the kid. That, that should be the way that, that that child lives their life however they feel like they should live their life. As parents, we have to make decisions for them and help make sure that they are making the right decisions. Listen, as parents, it is our responsibility to choose some things for our kids. We choose their schedules. We choose where they are on Friday nights. We choose their friends. We choose church attendance, no matter what they say. We don't leave it up to them and say, well, if you wanna go, then you can go. If not, no, we choose that for our children because it is our personal responsibility. It is up to us to decide that. And to quote the great theologian, 
Andy Griffith. You know you're old when you're quoting Andy Griffith in a sermon, I'm just saying. But in this great clip of the show, the Andy Griffith show, there's this hobo that comes into town and he's trying to convince Opie, Andy's son, to live the hobo life. And he's having this conversation with Andy, old Ange, and he's saying, you know, just let the boy decide for himself. And this is the quote from the show way ahead of its time. Andy Griffith said this, you can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy with shiny ribbons on it thing he sees. It's difficult for him to tell the difference between right and wrong. And when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong kinds of things come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince him that the other thing might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. And if I could add to Andy Griffith's sentiment and pray. As parents, that is our responsibility. We are responsible for the decisions that our children make, but not just that, we are also responsible for the lifestyle that we as parents live in our homes. Because we know that way more is caught than taught in parenting. Way more is just observed in you being you about how your kids will be and the attitudes that they will pick up and the actions that they find that are going to be acceptable or unacceptable by the way that we live our lives. We can't be mad at politicians and school board members for keeping the Bible out of classrooms if we don't ever open it at home. We are responsible not just for teaching our kids but for living a lifestyle that exemplifies what that looks like for our children. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And one of the things that would always frustrate me, and I'm about to say something that's like, Pastor Zach, Pastor Scott's probably wanted to say it for years too. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just say it for you, Zach, so you don't even have to say anything, Pastor Zach. Man, it, it, without fail, time and time again, it'd be a Wednesday night, we were having youth service, mom and dad would drop off Johnny or Susie or whoever it was, they'd come and check them in, and they'd pull me off to the side and say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Sure, what's going on? Man, Johnny, Susie, they're, they're struggling struggling with their grades, or struggling with their attitudes, struggling with their friends, all this kind of stuff. And can, can you talk to them? Can you help? And as a youth pastor, my heart breaks for that, right? So uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. But in the back of my mind, I never had the guts to say it out loud. Maybe that's why I'm saying it now because I'm not a youth pastor anymore. But so many times that parent that would be talking to me, I knew the lifestyle that they were living. And I felt like saying, listen, you're giving me your kid for an hour and a half at a youth service and you want me to fix all the problems that you create while they're living in your home. We can't let that happen. If we're going to stand for the truth, we've got to stand for it everywhere and we've got to live that out as inconvenient as it might be as adults to live out that truth in our home. We've got to live that truth out in our home. Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's our responsibility. Parents, I'm telling you, if you choose to not take that load, if you choose not to carry that load and you put that load down, I promise you there is a culture that is waiting to sweep in and to confuse them and to turn things upside down and to pervert the truth, to pervert the gospel. We are responsible. We're responsible. It is up to us, in Paul's words, to carry that load, to carry that burden. We can't expect anyone else to carry it, and we can't blame anyone else when we put it down. Now, just in a moment of, of just transparency as we're closing, maybe, maybe you're like me, and it's like, man, that's a lot. 
It's a lot, that's heavy. That responsibility, it, it, I, I feel that. And maybe that's where you're at right now and you're like, man, that's, that is a lot. If that's where you are, if you're feeling the weight of that, not, I'm not saying this to be nonchalant, I'm saying it in sincerity, good, good. Thank God. Thank God that, that we are sensitive enough to feel the Holy Spirit moving and convicting our hearts to pick up that responsibility, to, to carry that load that we are supposed to carry. And thank God that God has entrusted us and, and, and gives us the ability to steward those things. Guys, we might look at it as a responsibility and it is, but listen, it's a privilege. It is a privilege to be a parent. It's a privilege to be a spouse. It's a privilege to have some control over your occupation and to have a part to play in our spiritual formation. That is a privilege to have, but it does get heavy. And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't hand us this responsibility, this load and say, good luck. No, 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 God hands us this load and says, I'm always gonna be with you. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12, nine and 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that in Christ's power, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, God hands us this load and says, carry the load yourself carry it. No one is responsible except for you. But then he says, listen, I've given you grace to carry it. There's a, there's a dispensation of grace. It doesn't happen if we put it down, but it happens when we carry it. It happens when we pick it up. And when we say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be responsible. I feel personally responsible for these areas of my life that I have been called to steward. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to pick that up. There is this grace that fills in all the places where we mess up and we get it wrong. Parents, there's a grace. Thank God. Thank God that there is a place for us when we miss it and we mess up and we don't parent well, there's grace for that as long as we choose to, to hold on to that load. Spouses, there is grace when we don't get it all right. Employers, employees, there's grace. There is grace that is sufficient and God has not given us this to leave us on our own and leave us by ourselves but in those moments where the responsibility feels like a lot of weight, just understand that in that weakness, that is when Jesus Christ's strength can shine in us because there is grace for the load. When parenting is hard, when marriage is full of tension, when my job is tough, when I feel spiritually anemic, carry on. Carry your own load, don't put it down. In that weakness, Christ's strength will carry you through. His grace is sufficient. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.